0: Praise the Lord. We were going through some uh, interesting computer issues just now. The website has a security warning on you, and that it's not uh, creating a stream, uh, a secure web page, and the audio was all completely messed up. So, thanks to Anna, who who got us that information, and uh, reboot, or well, rebooting OBS a couple times, and pulling the camera out and putting it back in again, the USB jack seems to have solved the problem so I'm, I'm hopeful and and thankful uh, that we got that sorted out and that it'll stay working well tonight so if you would we are in lesson number three of our uh, work through uh, the book of first Timothy and we are in chapter one and we'll be reading the key verse for this series here we're starting a new uh, a new line of uh a new lesson here that will be um, before and after pictures and we get to maybe one of my you know one of those special parts of scripture uh, that is for me so verse 15 Timothy chapter 1 this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time here this evening, Lord, that we can gather together, rally around your word. Lord, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit and help me in ministering to your people tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. may be seated. So our key verse here being verse 15, and it seems as if I've taught through this verse combined with the other two verses that that, uh, goes kind of a trilogy of Paul's work through his life and, and seeing himself through, um, eventually getting to the point where he sees himself closer to his, as God truly sees him and in his un, in his real state without Jesus Christ, right? He's he's gotten to that point at this uh, here. He says, "I'm the least of the apostles," in other places, and has now reached the point where the pride and the self that he looks that that the natural man looks toward is all but gone he realizes his true state without Christ before the Lord completely lost completely uh, a complete debtor uh, to all this so we have another um, maybe picture here too of someone that you probably are all familiar with and are almost all guaranteed familiar with this hymn but the life of a man named John Newton. He lived from the year 1725, and died and passed away in the year 1807. In a small English cemetery stands a granite tombstone with the following epitaph. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now let's just pause there for a second. Do you see that on tombstones today? Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, not very common, I would say, out there. Most of it's just the, the standard birth date, death date, dash. We have all heard the sermon talking about what do you do with your dash. Um, some may say rest in peace is a common thing that's said out there, but listen to this by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored pardoned and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy who is this man John Newton? many of you might already know John Newton was the son of a sea captain common occupation in that that day and age trade is not as it is today you can't just set up your Amazon store or eBay store or this or that store for Facebook marketplace and have FedEx do all the heavy lifting for you. No, you actually had to get out there, contract with the shipper or you, you yourself were the man who was the goods delivery person. Goods would travel or traverse the world much as they are today by ship. And this was a, a an occupation. Now, uh, Brother Dennis is not here, so but Brother Chris is, and the standard uh, tropes of sailors apply here in John Newton's life. So his, his father was a sea captain, a merchant. John Newton himself left school at the age of 11. Can you imagine that? Left school at the age of 11 to begin your career. There's no way me and an 11-year-old was ready to do anything but, I don't know, play Nintendo at that, at that age. Um, but John left at the age of 11 to join his father's ship and pursue a life on the sea. Now, as an 11 year old around a bunch of sailors, how are you gonna turn out, is a question. Well, he turned out probably as expected. He lived a rebellious and immoral life working on slave ships for several years before becoming a captain of a slave ship of his own now slavery mentioned throughout the Bible slavery uh, and, and the consequences of it are a modern uh, a topic in today's world uh, it's causing much strife and division in our country today an immoral act uh, a reprehensible act to have one man be in control of another in the Bible, servant, slave, different context, right? The Bible also talks of servants and slaves as being those who chose to do this, but eventually were allowed to be freed uh, and were freed in Jubilee and after uh, but they also had the option to remain as that servant. Um, but we're not talking about that type of biblical servanthood. Or slavery in that sense. We're talking about forced servitude where you take control over another man's life or another woman's life and you don't allow them freedom and liberty. This is what John Newton was up to. He was in the business of traveling to the coast of Africa, contracting with the slave traders that were there who sold their countrymen into slavery, packing them onto slave ships where many died, lived in a boring conditions, came over to slave markets to be sold, willingly knowing all this stuff. This is what you're doing, you're trafficking in human beings, bringing them over. This was John Newton's life. He was considered, I think this is uh, uh, maybe, maybe a little understated here, but he was considered a despicable and hard man. Maybe, maybe just a little bit understated when you traffic in human lives. You, you, you remove liberty from your fellow man no matter what they look like, no matter what their skin color is. One day, however, an incredibly violent storm threatened to sink his ship. We read about another story of a man who was on a ship and a, and a violent storm threatened to sink him. God used a storm in Jonah's life to get a hold of him. And turn his, his, uh, and turn his actions around turn his heart back to the Lord and here we see though God has used another storm in the midst of the storm John Newton became convicted of his own sinfulness and began to turn his heart to God Brother Dennis tells his salvation story of being on a submarine that was crippled and it was headed to the bottom And if you know anything about water pressure and and submarine hulls and you think, wow you got so many odd inches thick of steel and you're going to be great, it doesn't work that way. We have deep diving submarines in this country. Uh, They don't tell us what the real depth is, but some of them go to, I believe, 1800 feet below sea level. What a lot of American ships can go to, submarines can go to. How deep? Does anyone have any idea how deep the ocean is in, in many spots? Many times deeper. Uh, Marianas Trench, more than 20,000. Seven, seven miles deep is the deepest. So uh, we're, we're talking about deep, crushing depths. So on his ship during this storm, John Newton became convicted of his own sinfulness and began to turn his heart to God. Several, several years later, he felt the call to preach. And entered the ministry. A man who was once taking the liberty of others, treating them wickedly, despicably, uh, treating them as something less than human, has now had a change of heart. He's had that conversion and change of heart where (laughs) his sinful desires that he was looking for, and and longing after, and, 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 and seeking after, have been passed away. And he's turned to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and once you do that once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ there's no going back there's no contentment in a sinful life there is there is chastisement if you live a sinful life but then if you consider here too our verse uh, verse 15 of of whom I'm chief uh, in first Timothy here and that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. If you realize truly where you are as an individual, as a sinner, as a sinful being, and you understand, and I don't know that I necessarily comprehend all of that yet, but if you begin to understand your sinfulness and how great of a thing that Jesus Christ had done for dying on the cross and taking the penalty of sin for you, giving you that forgiveness freely, Really offer to you if you only exercise your faith and belief on him that when that happens that change of heart changing from your sin, sinful nature and desiring sin and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ for, for, for forgiveness of sin now we have a choice we can choose to serve sin or we can choose to serve Christ and the joy that comes when when seeking after the Lord and seeking his things uh, is immeasurable um, just reminded of that daily so here we have John Newton he's he's felt the call to preach and he's entered the ministry Newton devoted his life to serving the Lord and abolishing slavery a man who once drove ships to Africa and, and to America and to the to the, new, to the new world to deliver his fellow man into slavery is now fighting against that. He sees the evil and the ill that is there and a man who was once seeking after the sin of slavery is now seeking after the Lord and his righteousness and to do right to his fellow man. Newton devoted his life to serving the Lord and abolishing slavery when he couldn't find enough hymns to suit him. This man is all in, he's preaching. He's singing. You know, I'll I'll tell you a personal story. I think I've mentioned it here before, too. But for me, you know, I'd I'd grown up going to church as a kid. Wasn't saved until I was 28, almost 29 years old. I don't know that I ever sang in church. I, I, I can't remember. I mean, I can remember reading the words in the hymn book. I would open and turn to the page. But there was no song in my heart. There is a song in my heart. So when John Newton couldn't find enough hymns to suit him, he began to write his own. One of the most popular is his autobiographical, Amazing Grace, which expounds on God's wondrous power to transform lives. And if you would just turn over, I think it's uh, in your hymn books, 130. I'm not going to sing tonight. I don't know that I'd be able to make through a song tonight Aww. right now. But, <laughs> um, but just let's, look at, let's take, a, take a chance here to look at the words. Verse 1, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, understanding who he was before the Lord and the awesomeness of God's grace toward him. God loves me enough die for me and rise again and pay for my sin someone who is wretched who is a wretch I was once lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see and that's what sin is before you're saved sin is is, is um, the kids have a bunch of Captain Patch CDs and I'll reference some of them uh, what is the one uh, with the dragon scale glasses that The the uh, Spy Academy, alright good, they're on top of things tonight. Spy Academy, the, 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 uh, the, the queen or the prince is wearing dragon scale glasses, she's blinded to see the, the, uh, the reality around her, the reality of, of the deception of sin is the allegory that's being played out in this. And we all have had in our sinful nature our own sin blinders on. Those have been removed in, through Jesus Christ. He takes those off. Blind but now I see. Verse 2, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed.'" Right? And that's the, the, the change that is overwhelming. Now, some will have a conversion experience where it will be very powerful others, you know, and, and are brought to tears. Others, you know, it's it's a, it's a quiet contemplation of what's going on. Some don't show emotion. You know, God has created us all uh, wonderfully and different. We all, with different emotions and different feelings, and he made some of us engineers, and some of us not engineers, and, and uh, that's good for the other people. And that you don't have the burden of being an engineer. But, um, but yeah, the hour I first believed that you you have that knowledge of now uh, that you have peace with God is the overall thing. Verse three, through many dangers toils and snares I have already come. Right? The Christian life is not something that is easy. It is hard. We've had lessons on persecution. Persecution may come there are stories of, of persecuted believers that, that uh, succumb to death. They are persecuted unto death. Yet they have that quiet assurance and can willingly go to, in the case of many of the martyrs uh, that have uh, brought forth our Bible, Tyndale and, and others have gone to the stake to be burned, singing all the while, all the while. The peace that God gives and the comfort that he gives, that when persecution comes, is immeasurable. It is, it is um, unfathomable by the world around us. They don't understand how you can have peace and contentment, even while going through struggles and trials. And that only comes if you're in God's word, if you're close to him. Are you prayed up? Are you read up? Are you in fellowship with the Lord? Said it before that we're only ever as close to the Lord as we want to be. Right? The Lord is never far, He is near. How far away are we from the Lord? Is a question for each of us to consider. Tis, grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Right? God's grace at salvation through this Christian life, through the process of sanctification, sanctification at salvation, sanctification living out the Christian life finally to be uh, to reach our home with him. God's grace will allow you and enable you to make it through all of that. verse 4, the Lord hath promised good to me his word my hope secures or if we rearrange the words here, his word secures my hope he will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. He is our life. he is who we trust in I mean our our very breath is given to us by him. our hairs are numbered on our heads. I have a few less today I'm thankful for that um, but trusting in the Lord and walking with him bring peace and contentment. That's what the world around us doesn't know. Right, the world around us needs Jesus Christ. Remarking to Nelson yesterday, we were spending some time together, that the problems of this world, and there are many, and if we consider, well, it's we just need to have so and so in office, or if this politician were in office, or that one wasn't in office, then our, our country would be doing much better. That's not the problem. The problem is man's sinful heart. Right. This country is wicked. There's no there's no it doesn't matter who's who's running the show. It is wicked. We are the exporters, the chief exporters of iniquity in this world today. The world looks to America and says, I want to be like that. That's wicked for the example our country and, and our society has on the world. but yeah, our world needs Jesus simple and plain as that All right, so let's try to get into um, this, so we have this passage we'll be talking about the Apostle Paul and and his recognition now as he states here is whom I am chief as far as sinners is what he's referring to, so 1st Timothy the verses 12 through 17 are what we cover in this lesson is another true story just as John Newton's story of the transforming power of God's grace in the Apostle Paul's life. Each of us that knows Jesus Christ has a similar story. It's different for every one of us, but the wickedness and the sinful heart that we have before we were saved, we all have a similar story here. John Newton has a story. The Apostle Paul has a story. Brian Young has a story. We all have a story. And these stories should compel every every believer to give thanks to God and to desire to tell everyone of his great mercy, right? You know, you've been saved by Jesus Christ, saved from the penalty of sin, working through our sanctification to be saved from the practice of sin. And one day, hopefully soon, from the presence of sin. That'll be a wonderful time. All right move the slides. So, just to pause for a second, I've been very slack in using slides in past lessons. I apologize for that. Also, I've been even more slack in providing uh, material to take notes on. There are materials in the back. There are uh, copies of the outlines for this lesson, as well as the um, whatchamacallit? The case study. Yeah, that's it. The uh, the case study back there. It's not a whatchamacallit. That's a an odd name for a candy bar the so those are back there if you want to grab one of those on your way out uh, please do all right so point one the pictures of grace and we won't be going necessarily in the order of verses um, here but we'll be hitting all of them in time but first Timothy uh, chapter 1 verse 12 and I think Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Beginning in verse 12 and in this, this passage of scripture here we, we find before and after pictures. We find who was the Apostle Paul before his salvation, what kind of man was he? And we begin to understand and throughout the, the text of scripture and all of his other writings, who's the Apostle Paul after his salvation, before and after pictures. These describe a total life change in the Apostle Paul. You don't have the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit come up and take residence in, inside you and there not be change. He will work to cleanse the cup right from the inside, but the outside might be clean also. This is you don't you don't have a person be saved and not have that change occur that change will occur for some as we yield to him it will occur faster or slower but you will be changed you will not be the same person after being saved in the Apostle Paul we see that total life change both that life change of eternal life his eternal destiny was changed, his temporal life as we see through his writings was also changed and this was brought about by God's amazing grace. Point A, a proud religionist, it's an interesting word. So I just have some notes here to kind of ad lib. Anybody ever uh, make a resume for a job? Anybody ever create a CV? Does anybody know what that is? OK, CV, curriculum vitae, and I'm butchering Latin. If I, it roughly trans to, translate to course of life. Often where you find this is in a body of academic work, someone who is in academia writes out all of the things they've ever published, all of the different things that they have that would be toward an academic setting. Someone who is in a, uh, a work environment might have this if they, uh, you could say to a lesser degree a contractor, somebody who's done these things. It's basically a super duper resume of all the things you've ever done, to quote our last president. And uh, so resumes, CVs, and what I'll call, uh, I'll make up a word, credentialism, right? I have this set of qualifications. I'm licensed to do this and that and these things right here. A lot of these things lead toward pride is is the founding of this and considering a proud religionist. Another thing that's becoming a pet peeve of mine when talking of the church is churches, individual churches, being referred to so-and-so's church. This is brother so-and-so's church or pastor so-and-so's church. Instead of so-and-so is pastor of XYZ church, right? I'm guilty of referring to pastors of I raise my hand I mean I'm honestly guilty of this and I don't I think it's a bad thing to refer to no names or anything like that uh, an- another pet peeve too is to have hierarchies of headship in the local assembly um, I prefer and our pastor is Pastor Bob Crawford he is the pastor of Mid Valley Mid Valley Baptist Church I know of churches that list the founding pastor of a church, founded by so and so. Now the man who founded the church, I know him personally, is a godly man. I think it is not godly to retain his name on the church. Because ultimately who is the head of the local church? This is the foundational thing. Is it about me? Is it about pastor so and so who founded the church? Is it about the pastor that is currently at the church? No, our focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who is due all the glory and honor in our church. A proud religionist. A lot of times we find that, so a lot of my concern too is on the emphasis of the man, the man who is the the pastor of the church, or titles, pastor is my favorite title. Other churches might use elder. Some use reverend. Um, I have a big, big issue with referring to somebody who has uh, a doctorate degree by doctor so and so. Unless you're a medical doctor, it's not. It's not me. I, I, I find that that sort of reference um, leads again toward pride. That's not. It's not necessary. So I'm concerned about emphasis on the man. The the focus is put on the man who's leading this church versus the Lord Jesus Christ. The focus is put on the programs that this church has or the buildings. And it's not placed on Jesus Christ. He is the one who is due honor and glory. And here we talk about the proud religionist, Saul, prior to his conversion. Turn over, if you would, to Philippians chapter... And I thought I was going to be very short today, (laughs) I should know better. Um, Turn over to Philippians, I'm only on page two, halfway down. Um, Philippians chapter three, verses four through six. Here we get the Apostle Paul, if, uh, if he was going to create his own CV of his life, his entire body of work prior to his salvation. What does the Apostle Paul's CV look like? Well, he was circumcised the eighth day. Paul had the bodily sign that he was one of the people with whom God had entered into a covenant relationship. He was of the, of the line of Israel, from Israel specifically. Circumcision was, was his ID that he was a member of that select group. I got my membership card right here Uh, I'm a member of such-and-such the club such-and-such club he was of the stock of Israel he was born a Jew he wasn't a convert he wasn't half Jew and he was certainly wasn't a Gentile he was pure-blooded Jew with a family tree that extended back to great fathers of the nation genealogy is very important and and wasn't very important to the Jewish culture they knew who their fathers were in fact we have the listing uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ genealogy both through Joseph and through Mary and we have that all the way back to Adam as well we can point out and trace that all all the way back to the first man genealogy is important throughout the Bible <coughs> I'm not sure in my own genealogy my dad was very big into it I remember traipsing around graveyards looking for headstones in uh, north central Pennsylvania as a kid we found some I'm not sure that any of them accurately went back to we couldn't definitively say who the first person to come from England was but we're pretty certain we're, from, we're English on, on the young side could be German Most everybody in in Pennsylvania is at least 50% German, Um, which that's my other side. Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, along with Joseph, Benjamin was the best loved of Jacob's 12 sons. The tribe of Benjamin produced Israel's first king, Saul, who apparently Saul was possibly named after, At at least has the same namesake. The tribe of Benjamin had remained loyal to the kingly line of David. What a proud heritage Paul had. When the other ten tribes split off, it was Judah and Benjamin that stayed together. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. Paul was the cream of the Jewish crop. A standout in the crowd. He had gotten a top-notch rabbinical education from the best of the Jewish instructors, Gamaliel, right? He's got his traden- credentials. If it were like I was so-and-so student is how you would, you would hear about it in academia. Oh, I was, uh, I don't need to mention names, but there are some very famous professors in my industry and field that you, oh, I'm so-and-so student. And you're like, oh, okay. That puts you a little bit higher on the pecking order in those senses. Paul could claim that, this is the Apostle Paul or prior to his conversion Saul, his CV he was a Pharisee, this was the most orthodox, now what does orthodox mean? It means conforming to what is generally or traditionally accepted as right or true, established and approved, he's part of the class that is correct, there is a talk show host, uh, what is his phrase that he says? Uh, I'm always right meaning that he's politically conservative but his message is I'm always right on the right side of mm, funny punny play on words there but the apostle Paul could say I'm conforming to orthodox theology being a Pharisee the most orthodox and prestigious of the Jewish insider groups a Jew could belong to he was in the club he was in the click club For all you kids that are listening to Captain Patch stuff. And uh, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. A militant guardian of his religion. Right? What's the difference here? Religion is a bunch of rules. What you do and what you don't. And then there's Christianity. There's, There's Christianity and Jesus Christ. And the relationship you have with him. And then there's everything else. Religion has you trying to do things in order to reach God. Jesus Christ is God reaching man. That's the major difference. He was a militant guardian of his religion. Paul responded forcefully to any threat to Judaism. He's like, let me at him. He's the attack dog of the Pharisees. Let me at him. give me the letters to Damascus I want to go there and and persecute me some more of Christians but he was blameless right from a human perspective he kept all the laws that he knew of in painstaking detail when he sinned he provided the correct offering for the sin that was the law prescribed as far as the law was concerned he was considered blameless sinless no blameless yes Paul's religion consumed his life. This was what he was about. It wasn't something he just attended on the Sabbath. You know, he's not I'm just going to show up to to uh to the synagogue on the Sabbath before I go play around a round of golf. That that's not that's not the apostle Paul. You could say he wasn't uh to to appropriate uh, Jewish religious holidays. He wasn't a Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur Jew. I'm just going to go there during these two things or we would say in, in Christianity a Christmas and Easter Christian right anybody know any of those I know a few of those he was devoted he de- and he devoted his life to his religion to his religion to the rules and the things that he thought he was doing right because he was of that group we're always right he was proud of his zeal right that pride, that's the, uh, the thing that, that bites you. You know, uh, making the sports analogy, there's no I in team, there's an I in pride. And it's a really big one, right in the middle. He devoted his life to his religion and he was proud of his zeal. To change his mind on his religion would take something radical. I know what I'm supposed to do I'm doing the right thing I, I, I It's going to have to be a radical change For that to happen You know And this is kind of a sad Recollection of mine Uh, We've met some people on visitation That said they have seen and done things That God could never forgive them of And you know That is a wicked, prideful spirit That God's not Merciful enough doesn't have enough love toward them even in their sin they think this that God can't save even them that's a pitiful state but it is also just as wicked and prideful as the person who is self-righteous, the self-righteous do-gooder well I help the poor I do this and I do that and when I get to I was listening to, to Verna McGee's Uh, lesson through this and he was talking about a man who he had met on his deathbed said that well yes i was doing all these good works and when i get to i'm going to go have a conversation with god he's going to let me in heaven i'm going to be all right (laughs) no you're not no you're not if anything that just shows your prideful heart and your need for a savior but here these people that that have said so they can't see and do they've done things and they've seen things and they can't believe that God would ever save them from it the question I would ask is have you ever heard of a man named Saul of Tarsus let me tell you about this man and you know because we're getting closer to the end of time here let's talk about the man Saul of Tarsus and what kind of man he was and how great of a God we serve his mercy is so greater than we could ever imagine his grace so bountiful and infinite to be able to save a man like the Saul of of Tarsus and a man like me all right let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you for our evening here tonight Lord we thank you uh, to begin this lesson Lord I pray that you would help us uh, to draw closer to you to to understand our sinful heart who we were before we were saved who we are now if we know jesus christ the savior and lord allow our your love toward us to fill us that we may love you back and and grow closer to you each day lord that our joy might be filled full lord i pray that you continue to guide us uh, through these lessons in jesus name we pray amen